Well, 2022 hasn't started out like I expected. You know, I thought a new year, we're going to be energized and excited at church. You know, like I was just excited. Pandemic was going away. Good things ahead. Uh, and then three weeks ago, Darby got diagnosed with COVID, was out sick. And two weeks ago, I had COVID, was out sick. And then I thought, well, we're back to church this Sunday. And what happens? Lo and behold, a huge snowstorm blows in and we're online again. Life sometimes is full of these unexpected moments. And speaking of the unexpected, the next passage in our study in the book of Matthew is unexpected. It's like one of those passages where I'm like, why did Matthew include this? Why do we even care about this. It isn't a flashy passage. This isn't one of those passages in the Bible that I read and I think, man, this would make a great sermon. I, I should preach this someday. I usually read through something like this and I'm like, okay, you know, and I move on to the next thing. I'm like, why is it even there? Why do I even care? Why does Matthew, a master of highlighting the most important elements of Jesus's life, even mention the fact that he moves to Capernaum, let alone spend five verses on it, talking about his move from Nazareth to Capernaum. Uh, now, this is, I think, one of those passages where we really have to dig in and figure out why it's there and what it means to us. But I think like just like the unexpected moments in our life, there's some wisdom for us here that we can find together. So let's look at the passage in Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Well, really riveting stuff. You know, this is the uh, the passage when you're having a bad day, you just go and read about Jesus's move from Nazareth to Capernaum, right? Like that's it's so inspiring. It's so wonderful, right? Why in the world did Matthew think that this was important for us to understand the mis mission and the message of Jesus. Well, I think we have to start by asking, why did Jesus leave Nazareth, his hometown? Matthew leaves out the story that Luke includes in Luke chapter 4. After battling the devil in the wilderness, Jesus goes back to his hometown, to Nazareth. That's where his home is. That's where his family is. When he gets there, they invite him to speak in the synagogue. Uh, and so he goes and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah. He begins to read from it. And he's like, guess what? I'm the long-awaited king that you've been waiting for. And people are not very receptive to this message. In fact, they are furious about it. And when he claims to be king, they start saying, like, isn't this Joseph's illegitimate son? Like, who does he think he is claiming to be king? We remember when he was a kid running around this village. He is not our king. They're so angry at Jesus that they drive him out of the synagogue. They drive him out of the village and they take him to a cliff and try to throw him off to kill him. I think we have a picture here. Uh, Nazareth sits on a rocky hillside. There's cliffs all around. You can still go there today. And 
if you fell off of there, it would kill you. It would be terrible. In Luke chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, it concludes the story like this. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard him say this, and they got up and drove him out of the town. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Rejection is one of the most painful emotions in life. As followers of Jesus, though, we serve a king who knows what it's like to be rejected. Every human wants to be loved and respected. That's the deepest desires of our heart. None of us want to be rejected. But we need to remember sometimes that being rejected by the wrong kind of people is the right thing to happen to us. If I said Nazis rejected me, you'd be like, good, you don't want their acceptance, right? That would be a good thing. Being accepted by Nazis would mean there was something seriously wrong with me. We often think when we're rejected that there's something wrong with us. Like, oh man, they rejected me because I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. You know, I'm not cool enough. I'm not whatever. But rejection often reveals that there's something wrong with the people rejecting you, not with you. Rejection often pushes us towards our destinies. It moves us toward the things we were created to do and toward the people we were created to help. The rejection in Nazareth led Jesus to Capernaum and to his first disciples. And as bad as some of our stories of rejection might be, we probably haven't had people reject us so badly that they wanted to kill us. Talk about hometown trauma, right? So obviously, after your home tries to kill you like that, it's a good idea to pull up Zillow and find a new place to live. Uh, in real estate shows, they always joke like, it's location, location, location. So why did Jesus pick the location of Capernaum to be the headquarters of his ministry to be his new hometown? Capernaum was a city of an estimated 1,500 people on the Sea of Galilee, probably the largest port city on the sea based on excavation that archaeologists and divers have done in the Sea of Galilee. They look at the foundations for the different docks and the one in the ruins of Capernaum were the largest docks. So they think this was probably the biggest port on the sea in the time of Jesus. The scriptures tell us that it was also home to a Roman centurion. He's going to come up later in the story. Uh, he was respectful of the Jewish tradition and he actually helped fund the construction of a synagogue there. You can go to the ruins of Capernaum today and see the ruins of a 5th century synagogue. But archaeologists have studied these ruins and have seen that they're actually built on the foundation from a previous synagogue. They believe that that is the 1st century synagogue that Jesus would have spoke in and that this Roman centurion would have built. A centurion being in Capernaum also meant that there were between 80 and 100 soldiers because that's how many soldiers a centurion was over. Um, and Matthew, the author of this account of Jesus's life that we're reading, was stationed there at a Roman tax collecting office. It's also the home to Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the very first disciples of Jesus. Now, one of the reasons I think that Matthew even mentions Capernaum and this move to Capernaum is that this is the reason he encountered Jesus. He was in Capernaum. Jesus was coming there and found him. This was the place that changed Matthew's life from being a traitorous tax collector for the Roman Empire into becoming an apprentice of a traveling rabbi named Jesus who claimed to be the one true king. Places. We all have places where 
our life changed forever. It took a new direction. I can think of the place I was in a farmhouse in the country in Tennessee, sitting in a field when I suddenly felt God tell me to start uh, preaching, to become a minister, to pastor. And I was like, I do not want to do that. I'm a back row, kind of don't talk to anybody, introverted person. I do not want to be the person up front speaking, but I still remember that place. And when I go home and visit my family and I drive by that street, I remember what happened in that place. And you have places, maybe the place that you fell in love, the place you got married, places that are special because it changed the trajectory of your life. And Capernaum is special to Matthew because it's the place he encountered Jesus. The city itself was situated on the trade route from Egypt to Damascus and sat on the border between the territory of Herod and the territory of Philip, two Roman regional governors. Now, being situated on a major road meant that Jesus could easily travel throughout the country easily. He had easy accessibility to a good highway system. It also meant being on the edges of two territories of Roman provincial leaders that he could avoid the watchful eye of both provincial governors. Jesus was strategic in his choice of a city here. He didn't choose it by accident. He, you know, he didn't like throw a dart at a map of Israel and say, which city am I going to end up at? It was by careful design. And I believe that today, King Jesus has just as carefully and strategically placed you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, in your apartment building, in your city, on your street. Jesus has strategically positioned you for other people's good and for his kingdom. This doesn't mean you can't move or get a new job. It doesn't mean you're locked into that place forever, but it means you should see the people you encounter every day as divine assignments. God has brought certain people into your daily rhythm because he wants you to minister to them. Now, we often think of ministry as something that a pastor or a priest does, uh, but the word minister simply means to attend to the needs of someone else. Jesus has placed us to attend to the needs of hurting people just like he would. This is one of the ways we live out our apprenticeship to Jesus. We act as Jesus would in the places he has strategically put us. We are like Jesus. We are like Jesus when we treat people, we care for people, we minister to people just like he would. People all around us need to be told that God wants them and God tells them through us. Matthew tells us another one of the reasons that Jesus comes here was because of prophecy. In, a, in Isaiah chapter 9, the coming king is prophesied to live in the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, beyond the Jordan River, on the trade route known as the Way of the Sea. So this has been a long trade route between e Egypt and Damascus long before the Roman Empire even existed. Capernaum didn't exist yet when Isaiah wrote those words, but Capernaum certainly fits the predicted geography that Isaiah wrote about. We often think about how our experiences shape who we are and who we become, but I believe that our environments do the exact same thing. I mean, you can listen to Darby talk. The way she talks was shaped by a place, the South. You can listen to the idioms that people use or the way that they say certain words. I say cousin instead of cousin um, because my parents came from Pittsburgh and that's how they grew up saying it. And so if I'm not paying attention to my speech, I just automatically say cousin or breakfast instead of breakfast. Um, 
these are shaped by the people we're around and the places that we're in. Our environments form us. The places we live in form who we are and who we are becoming. Our bodies and our souls reflect the conflicts and the tensions of our communities. Every human being are people of a place. We're people of a planet and we're people of a place on this planet. When Yahweh made Adam and Eve, he placed them in a place in a garden called Eden. When Yahweh called the Israelites to be his people, he called them to a promised land, to a place. When God said, meet with me, he called them to a mountain where they had to go. They could have been like, why don't you just meet with us here? He's like, no, no, you need to come to this place. Places matter because places form us. And sometimes the journey to a place is just as important as getting to that place. Yes, God is everywhere and can be encountered anywhere, but there's still something about gathering in a place, making a, a space a special place. God does things in a place, and sometimes I find myself dwelling so much on the past or dreaming about the future, and I forget to be fully present in my body in the place I am right now, to be in the place I am with the people who are here now. As a millennial, our entire culture has been built around escape. We want to take exotic vacations and binge watch Netflix and explore virtual worlds on our Xboxes and Playstations. And I love all those things. And none of those things are bad in themselves. But I find that sometimes they can be symptoms that we're trying to escape our places instead of fill our places with love and laughter and joy. We're trying sometimes to escape our places instead of dealing with the pain that are in our places. And God has strategically placed us in places of pain, not so that we suffer, but so that we can minister to people suffering. So Jesus moves to Capernaum, and this would become the unofficial headquarters of his ministry. It's here that he begins preaching. And as a preacher, I'm always keenly interested in what Jesus preached. Like every time it says Jesus preached, or Jesus gave this talk, or Jesus taught, I want to know what he's saying. Um, because often it's easy for me to make a secondary issue, the main issue, to begin to talk about things that weren't wrong or aren't true, um, but maybe weren't the key emphasis of Jesus's teaching and preaching. It may be good things, even true things that Jesus never bothered to talk about. And it's just as easy for me to sometimes ignore the things that Jesus emphasized and put the emphasis on some other area. So Matthew tells us the message of Jesus was incredibly simple. This is what he preached. Repent. Remember, that means to change allegiance because the king of uh, the king of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is available now. This was the central message of Jesus. And you realize this wasn't a new message, right? This was the exact same message that John the baptizer spoke to. So what does this message mean? We can experience community with Yahweh, the one true God, right here and right now. The kingdom is open and accessible to anyone who wants in. It's not something you have to wait for until you die. It is something available in Jesus right now. Abdicate the throne of your life. Let Jesus rule and reign. Let him set the agenda for your life. Come apprentice under him and learn the way that he lived and loved. He is a just and joyous king, and his reign will make your life an abundant life. 
And Matthew uses a moving metaphor here that perfectly parallels his passage about Jesus moving to Capernaum. In verse 16, he says, people are in a kingdom of darkness. Jesus shows up revealing a kingdom of light. You need to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Just like Jesus moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, he moved from rejection to a place where he had disciples and followers. You need to move out of darkness and move into the kingdom of light. Now, this moving metaphor makes me think of Jesus's words in John 6, 37. All those that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never reject. In the kingdom of darkness, we'll have rejection every single day, but Jesus says, come to me. I'm a king who will never reject you. You're always welcome in my doors. Today is a great day to move. It's a great day to become an apprentice of the way that Jesus lived, to leave the kingdom of darkness, to leave the kingdom of rejection, and enter the kingdom of God. Jesus promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never reject us. He's the king with open arms. Come, it's time to move. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming and thank you so much for calling us to be your disciples, to follow you, to live and love like you, to apprentice under your way of life. Thank you for defeating sin and death on the cross, for coming back to life and promising a resurrection to new life for every one of your students. God, I pray that people will move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that they will become your students and your followers, and they will find that you offer a life without lack. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.